0: All right, a Monday edition of the Sports Huddle. Super Bowl week, you can hear it here on SEMO ESPN Radio, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online worldwide at simoespn.com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Boland inviting you to join us here in the huddle. Here's our EBOMD huddle hotline 573-334-1220. 573-334-1220. The Huddle Hotline powered by EBOMD. Monday means it's a Monday Marty party. Marty Michelle, the love shack, will join us a little bit later on in the show. So stay tuned for the Monday Marty party. Jess Bowling in the house. You had family all weekend, so I don't even have to ask you if you had a good weekend. Oh,
1: it was unbelievable. Um I was telling you before we went on the air about Annette, Tom's little girl, eight years old, and performed comedy for us.
0: Uh, Now, did she have new material? Yes, she did. Okay.
1: She she did T.J. before when T.J. would bat and showed you just how he batted and nailed it.
0: Batting stance?
1: Yeah, everything. And then uh, the other night, she did her dad, Tom, and her mom talking in a conversation about after work and where they're going to meet for the kids' games at the Sportsplex and all this. And she did that. Then she did her mother coming into her room and everything, and it was unbelievable (laughs) that she really nailed three people there at eight years old. And uh, so we had all kinds of fun. We had pizza. We had pulled pork from Pilot House. We had uh, cookies, homemade cookies. I mean, it was... A uh, fun weekend, no question. It always is when I got my four kids together and whatever grandkids could be there. It's always fun.
0: Watch any college basketball over the weekend? No,
1: we uh, we were concentrating on other things because we don't get together much. So I didn't do much sports. We'll have to depend on you and Marty.
0: You think we can depend on Marty? Well,
1: I watch college basketball here in town? Yeah. The yeah. Redhawks, but, I mean, that's it.
0: There was a good triple header of college basketball on Saturday. You had three games, all six teams ranked in the top ten, including Duke Carolina. Tar Heels at home took care of Duke, 93-84. Tennessee went to Rupp. And beat the Kentucky Wildcats 103-92. John Calipari skipped his post-game radio show after a tough loss. gave up gave up a buck o three on their home court. And then, what I think is a surprise, Kansas at Fog Allen beats their eighth. Beats number four, Houston. 78-65 and the game wasn't really as close as the final score would indicate and what was surprising not that Kansas beat Houston. Houston is the number 1 scoring defense in the country. I think they give up 52 points per game. Kansas scored 78 points in the game just and shot a Big 12 record. Okay, in a Big 12 game. 60 Nine percent from the field against the number one defense in America.
1: Well, that's why they give up that many points. You
0: 69%.
1: You can't hold somebody down when they're shooting at 7 out of 10. That's unheard of. With a lot of the inside baskets. Yeah, like this. they
0: only hit six threes. Yeah. So to me, that was uh, kind of hard to believe. They outscored Houston in the paint 42-24. to So that was uh, a bit of a surprise for me. Not that Houston lost, but the fact that they gave up 78 points and gave up 69% shooting to the Jayhawks. Uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was one of the, the highlights of the college basketball on Saturday for me. As far as other news, the two teams have landed in Las Vegas. As we enter Super Bowl week, all of the uh, national shows that you hear, most of them, they are in Vegas broadcasting live from Radio Row. That's kind of a tradition, wherever the Super Bowl may be. And so the cool thing about that is there are so many individuals, former players, coaches, current players, that will be in Vegas, and they'll make their way down Radio Row. So you'll get a chance to hear from some individuals that maybe, like during the course of an NFL season, you will not. Everybody is done with their seasons except for the Niners and Chiefs. So you'll get to hear from uh, some players, former players and coaches, that you may not get to hear from during the regular season. Well, if I could
1: pick any city I'd want to go to to see a Super Bowl, it would be Vegas. There's so much to do there. So that's why you're going to have so many celebrities You know, and and everybody there available because if they're not on the road doing interviews or whatever, there's people to see and shows to see. There's so much to do in Las Vegas. I used to go, believe it or not, four times a year. And um, so I, I haven't been back there, though, in, gosh, I don't know, 20 years. Probably changed a little bit since I've been
0: there. Yes, it's changed in 20 years. Absolutely. So just think about how long ago, not really that long. The NFL was so averse to gambling, thinking about a Super Bowl in the gambling capital of the world was unheard of. No chance. Yeah. No chance that the NFL would relocate a franchise to Las Vegas. But both have happened. The NFL is in bed with all the gambling networks. And there are so many more people that are putting wagers down on games. And the Super Bowl, the biggest game, is in the gambling capital of the world. No one you could have laid down bets in Vegas 10 years ago that anything like this was possible.
1: You could. And that's that's the way the things have changed in the last decades and uh, I don't know that it's far the worse. I it mean I don't have a feeling about whether it's in Vegas or not. I think I think the big league sports were so afraid of gambling tarnishing the game to fans. That that's why they probably stayed away from Vegas as long as they did, but now you got sports betting, uh, of course you had sports betting in Vegas, Vegas, but there wasn't any major league teams in Vegas, but now i bet I bet the betting is unbelievable on sports in Las Vegas, but you know they got hockey out there now, the Knights, and um. Pro football? Are they go thinking about moving major league baseball team there?
0: It'll depend on expansion. I think the team that many believe could be at the top of the list if baseball expands is Nashville. Yeah,
1: that'd be a good city.
0: <clears throat> I think it would be.
1: I mean when Nashville had the sounds, and he still may have it. Triple A team. They drew well. It's a big city. I think it would do well in be- in uh, Nashville. I like Nashville. We've been there several times. Great city. Yeah, I, I think it's a- it'd be a good place to live. A lot of things to do. Big enough to have anything you want. People
0: are friendly. And speaking of Vegas, the 49ers who arrived, I believe, before the Chiefs' plane touchdown, tweeted out on their Twitter account, formerly Twitter, now X, Meta. Yeah. their tweet from the official account of the 49ers. It shows a video, some highlights involving the 49ers. And they tweeted out the words against all odds next up super bowl 58 on cbs against all odds jess the san francisco 49ers were literally favored in every game that they played this year and they're favored in the super bowl yet their twitter account tweets out against all odds
1: i don't yeah i was gonna say uh, where they coming up with that one at um I think they're lucky to be there, if you want to ask me. I think Detroit could have. They should have lost to Green Bay and Detroit. Yeah.
0: I mean, if Jordan Love didn't wet the bed late with the two picks, and if Dan Campbell, after going up three scores for a field goal at the end of the half, then you're almost midway through the third quarter, a chance to go back up by three scores in the NFC Championship game, three scores, third quarter, we're going to go for it. Didn't get it. Niners could have lost both of those
1: games. The field goal is actually going by the wayside, the importance of it, as far as the NFL coaches. I think you're making a mistake if you don't take the three, especially when you get stopped in just fourth and four, fourth and five, and you're in field goal range, and you don't go for it. That's a mistake. Because the importance of keeping – got to keep adding to it maybe it's a three-score game with seven minutes to go in the third period and don't take it, then I think that's a mistake. Because when you're trailing in any game, I've been trailing a few in my life, other team adds on when you're already behind. It's, It's really tough, you know, mentally and everything, because you're trying to catch up. And you go out there and you can't hold the other team from scoring. So I think, they, well, I don't have a doubt they made a mistake. And it's not second-guessing. I said that before they ever went for the fourth in the third period. Fourth and one, goal line or something, I can understand that. Especially if the score would dictate, you know, if he's playing Kansas City Chiefs, or the St. Louis Rams, when they were scoring 500 points a year, three years in a row, you know you're going to, have to score touchdowns when you play them. I could understand going fourth and one inside the 10, couldn't you? You need touchdowns. But when you already got a two touchdown lead and a chance to add on to it, to go to the Super Bowl, that doesn't make sense to me at all.
0: And, Jess, uh, Dan Campbell's choices have been questioned in that game by many who work in the the most i think who work in the media industry and follow the national football league including Christopher Mad Dog Russo his thoughts on Dan Campbell the mad dog
2: you could have been in a situation where you'd be playing in a super bowl super Bo and those poor fans in Michigan. This ruins their year. I uh, listen. I shouldn't say that because you'll probably get over it. But you tell me right out. You tell me right now. If you are a Lions fan, you tell me right now. For the next month, when they get this game played and everything else, the month of February. What are you going to be thinking about? Beating Baker Mayfield or the fuck? that the Niners did the rights? My God, Almighty! Pay attention, Campbell. Jesus. I mean, this is, excuse me. This is ridiculous. And I know we like you, Dan. You're a nice guy. You represent the city of Detroit. Blue collar. Tough. Oh, we get all the nonsense. But manage the game properly. You have a chair. I understand it's a long field goal, 240 yarders, but your kicker's good. You have a very you got a chance to go back up by three scores, and you go for it on fourth down, and then all the dopes on Twitter are backing you up, the, 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 the data freaks who wouldn't know Lombardi for Paul Brown. Never heard of Otto Graham. Kenny Stabler, Madden. Wouldn't know him if they fell on him. They do football via math. That's not how you do football. Oh my God! What a loss!
0: <laughs> the Mad Dog never shy, uh, never shy on his opinions, and uh, those were his thoughts on. Uh, he's worse than I. on Dan came. <laughs> yeah, as Vince Lombardi once said, he
1: gets carried away, Mad Dog. But I do like listening to him.
0: As Vince Lombardi once said, after he lost the game because he went for it on fourth down, regretted the decision after. Take the points, son. Take yep. the points.
1: Well, it kind of related to basketball. All the time we're doing games, we talk about the importance of free throws. Free throws are an addition, whether you get one point or two. That's a luxury part of the game. That you stop the game, somebody goes to the line, free shots. That's why I call it a free throw. That's the way a field goal is in football. It's not like a touchdown. It's not as good. But it's an addition and luxury part of the game that you can add on to the score. And to not take it is senseless. Sorry, it just is.
0: Speaking of free throws, and we'll talk more about it with Marty Mishow when he joins us uh, for the Monday Marty Party. SEMO's men's basketball team playing Western Illinois Saturday. Western Illinois, and it's not hyperbole by saying they are one of the absolutely worst free throw shooting teams in the country. Why do I say that? Boy, that's awfully harsh, Eric. There are 351 teams that play Division I basketball, 351. They came into the game ranked 349th out of 351 in field goals. But against Semo, eighty-seven percent in the game. They went thirteen of fifteen. <laughs> How can you predict that? Semo snake bit They're terrible for the free throw line. <clears throat> Historically bad. Thirteen for fifty.
1: Don't you think Semo snake bitten on stuff like that? You know, if if there's a percentage, and believe me, this is a good sample size by now. That you're three hundred forty ninth out of three fifty one. You're just simply atrocious at the free throw line. It's simple as that. But when you play here, Kate, okay, you shoot 86, 87%. They don't, Southeast never gets a break on stuff like that, I don't think. That teams come in bad at something and they're bad the day. In other words, if teams came in and they had those kind of stats and just played their normal game, you know, what they average do in a, in a game. How many free throws would they have missed, you know, on that uh, number? So it seems like everybody that comes in and plays them, they have the career day or like team with free throw percentage.
0: In their previous game against Lindenwood, okay, just 48 hours prior, 12
2: of 24. Yeah, 50%. 50%.
0: They come to Show Me Center eighty-seven. Anyway, you brought up free throws, and uh, that was the free throw number that was stuck in my head. And by the way, we'll talk it over with Brad Korn. He will join us. We'll be in the Cape Girardeau Wings, etc. location, twelve noon. Redhawks coaches show, and uh, we'll have one of the Redhawk players there as well.
1: Gonna be a busy weekend for CMOS
0: basketball. Four ball
1: games. Thursdays and Saturdays, right?
0: That's correct.
1: So doubleheaders Thursday and doubleheaders Saturday. I don't know what time the Thursday game starts, what six maybe?
0: Five fifteen and seven thirty.
1: Yeah, and uh, the game start I think at one thirty Saturday afternoon. I like those Saturday afternoon doubleheaders, don't you? Get home at a reasonable yeah. hour. You still take some
0: out to eat or something? I got back to Saint John. Right around 7.30 after broadcasting two games, yeah. that, that, that doesn't happen a lot.
1: No, time. but you still got the night. If you want to go somewhere, go out to eat or go to a movie or go so, anywhere, you got
0: most of the night left. So it'll be on Saturday, 1 o'clock for the women. I'm sorry, that's wrong. One thirty for the women. I think I just yeah. said one
1: thirty. You gotta right. listen to me once in a while.
0: Right. So that puts the men about three forty five on Saturday.
1: Yeah, they always say two hours, but you can't get a game no. over two hours and then the warm ups for the next game and get it started. You just can't do it.
0: And as we sit here now and we'll talk it over more with Marty, um season ends today, neither team makes the tournament, men or women. So they've got work yeah. to do.
1: I think they'll both make it, but they're you know they're gonna have to win some games to do it. I don't know
0: that they're both gonna make it.
1: Well, I said that I think they're gonna make it I didn't say they're definitely gonna make it. Don't you believe in them?
0: A little bit? I'm not saying they're not going to make it. What are you sitting there acting I like? said, I don't know if they're going You're to make
1: give it. you me a negative statement.
0: They've each lost four in a row. What have you seen in the last four games that makes you think, here we go, we're going to go? I think,
1: I think the talent is there. That's what I think. may not be performing at the level he should, but I think the talent is there to perform good enough to get in the playoffs.
0: Eight games left. And of course these first two are at home. So of the eight games left, it's four at home, it's four on the road. So if you don't make it, you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. Bottom line. There you go.
1: If you had six of the eight on the road, you can say, Well, the schedule really gonna wind up tough on us, but you gotta win your home games. I mean, it comes down to that. I don't care who you're playing. You can't have teams come in here and shoot 52% against you on your floor, and you shoot 33%. You just you can't do that. Get out, rebounded by 18, get outscored in the paint 40 to 22 or whatever it was. You can't do that at home, especially. And that's what some that's close to the stats. I don't have a paper in front of me, I don't have a computer, but I do have a memory, and that's right close to what happened Saturday with the men.
0: And it's interesting because both coaches on the post-game interview said the same thing. Late in the game, you have to make shots.
1: Yeah, exactly. The
0: women made one of their final 12. The men didn't shoot it well. And where they rank in conference play, both teams. Last in field goal percentage and last in three-point percentage. And, you know, sometimes so during the They just haven't shot the ball well.
1: You got to say it is what it is. Sorry, but it is what it is. And do I have faith that they'll get in the playoffs? Yes, I do. I do. I think they have enough talent to have to go four and four in the last eight. And that would probably do it.
0: I think that would do it for both teams.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. A lot of. Uh... things that we've been following as far as Major League Baseball. You and I have been following what the MLB Network has been doing over the last few weeks. Top 10. Top 10 players right now at every position. And, Jess, on Friday, they released the top 10 relief pitchers in Major League Baseball. Now, I don't know what in the world is going on with this list. But Josh Hader's name is not on the list. Edwin Diaz, who was injured all of last year, he was number one last year. He was six this year. But Devin Williams of the Brewers, number one. The number two relief pitcher, according to the shredder, where they put all the numbers in there, Ryan Helsley, of the St. Louis Cardinals' number two-ranked relief pitcher in Major League Baseball. He was 10th last year. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When he was on the field, those numbers they pumped into the shredder, I think it's a 167 ERA the last two years when Helsley's been out there and healthy. So how about that? Going into the season, and the Cardinals are concerned about the bullpen, and they should be, and Helsley's a little brittle, and using him two or three days in a row... Don't know if that's feasible with this guy. Remember, that's one of the reasons he lost his arbitration case. That was one of the cases they made about back-to-back days or, you know, five-out opportunities. But Devin <clears throat> Williams won Ryan Helsley number two.
1: Cardinals bullpen is going to look a little different. Um, i tell you a guy that... I think flying under the radar that I really like. And there's Romero. is that his name?
0: The Joe, lefty? Jojo Romero.
1: I thought he was very impressive. And so there's this guy who can throw 95 to 100 lefty and come out of the bullpen for the Cards the second half of the season and look good. They got him from the Phillies, I think, didn't they? So... They but, had
0: they had one of those guys, too, got rid of him, Hennessy Cabrera.
1: Yeah, they did. And he did well where he went.
0: He re-signed, by the way, with Toronto one year.
1: How about the, some of the people on the bullpen that was there last year that you think will not be there this year? Because these additions are probably going to make it for the Cardinals to a couple of relievers. You think Verhagen will be back?
0: He's already signed somewhere else.
1: Okay, so there's one. Stratton. He's gone.
0: He was gone. Jake Woodford.
1: After the season.
0: Jordan Hicks got traded. Don't know about Drew Rahm. Hennessy Cabrera. James Nail headed to Korea. Don't know what's in store for your guy, Packy Naughton. He's going to get a (laughs) – he's going to get a a, – You can't have three or four lefties. An invite. An invite to spring training. I
1: think Thompson will be one of them that makes it out of the bullpen. And Romero, there's two lefties, one middle early reliever and a tail-end reliever. But I think – put it this way. Helsley, like you said, is brittle. You don't know if he's going to be able to perform back-to-back days. He's not good going more than in one inning. But I think Romero could pick up the slack there. not
0: tell anybody when he's got numbness in his fingers.
1: Don't you? I think Romero might be able to pick up the slack on finishing out a game. when Instead of using Helsley three days in a row, use him two and then bring in Romero in game three. I, I just think that... So if they're used right, I think those two could complement each other in the bullpen. With Helsley giving the name as the closer and be the first priority. If both guys have got rest, you go with Helsley. But using Romero in in spots that would keep him going and give him enough work to be sharp, and also giving Helsley enough time off to recover. And be able to throw at max when he comes in, but I don't know if Marmo will use his bullpen right. I would that you know I talk a, a lot about managing. It's not making out a lineup. I mean, most people sitting in the grandstands can make out a lineup and get them pretty close to right. It's using your pitching staff to where everybody on that staff is getting enough work to stay sharp. No one who's good against this hitter, that hitter, all the analytics. I believe in that. And I don't know how good a job he did, to be honest with you, with that aspect of the game.
0: So those are your top uh, ten relief pitchers, Jess. Uh, They also released the top ten. We were going to talk about it the other day, but we didn't get to it. The top ten third baseman. In the game. Last year, Nolan, Nolan Arenado was number five, but he had uh, a quarter step backwards for the first time ever. Didn't win a gold glove, which means he wasn't getting in another platinum glove. Didn't get to 100 RBIs, didn't get to 30 home runs. Nolan Arenado checks in at number seven among the top 10 third basemen in Major League Baseball, according to the Shredder and MLB Network.
1: I think you'll see him have a, a really great 24. I think he'll be he'll be bounced back year for him. And, you know, how many guys would take what his stats were in 2023 and be tickled to death with them? You know, his fielding percentage is rating on the best third baseman, his RBIs, these home runs. I mean, for him, it's not a, not good, but for anybody else, it'd be great. That's the level that he plays on. But I think he'll come back this year because now you know it's an, it's a slap in the face when you're considered the best for what? How many years that he went the Gold Glove in a row? Eight, nine years. And then you go down a notch. You you know, anytime you're you start slipping. With age, which everybody's going to do, you want to fight back? Just like a boxer. How many times in a ring have you seen a guy get hurt? Well, I mean getting hurt. He gets caught with a punch, and he didn't defend himself well on that punch, and he knows he got hurt. He's susceptible, vulnerable to being knocked out. And how they fight back, you know. It, you go on offense. And I think is going to do that. I think he'll come back this year and be, again, excellent.
0: It was 10 straight gold gloves to start his career before last year. It's six platinum gloves, eight all star appearances. Jesse at 266. His career average is 286. His career on base, 343. And again, a lot of that was in colorado 343 last year's on base 315 career slug 527 last year 459 career ops 871 last year 774 yeah so just across the the board yes
1: um not the kind of season he's used to having but i think he's got the talent and he's still young enough what is he 30 32, somewhere right there.
0: He's 32. He'll turn 33 in April.
1: So it's going to be the 33 season. Age 33 season, right. Um, He's still young enough to turn this completely around, I think. I still think he's got three really good years left. 33, 34, 35. Now, after that, I don't know. No matter how bad you want it, um, you know, your mind wants it, but your body won't respond. He might get into some of that.
0: So, not counting the COVID season of 2020, nobody getting 100 RBIs. He had... Seven straight 100 RBI seasons, but last year, 93.
1: Probably 30 homers every year. You remember
0: year. how Pujols' numbers dipped just a bit his last year in St. Louis and then <clears throat> more of a precipitous dive? Still had the power, but all the other numbers started to slide when he went to the Angels.
1: That's why they surprised me so much when it comes to St. Louis. I thought he'd be competitive, but he actually had a good year. And St. Louis' Good, good second half, more importantly,
0: yeah. yeah. So that's the deal with Arenado. And if you're wondering who were the guys at third base who were ahead of Arenado, who was seven after being fifth last year, dropped two slots, the number one third baseman who was third last year, the number one third baseman, Austin Riley of the Braves, followed by Jose Ramirez of Cleveland. He's second for the second straight year. Great hitter. Manny Machado was number one last year. He's third this year. Rafael Devers, fourth last year, fourth again this year. Alex Bregman leaped past Arenado. Bregman, fifth. Gunnar Henderson, the rookie in Baltimore, sixth. And then behind Arenado, Max Muncie of the Dodgers. Isaac or Paredes of the Tampa Bay Rays. And then Justin Turner, number 10, third baseman. Told you he had a career-high 93 RBIs last year.
1: Where's the part, third baseman, that E banned Brandy or whatever?
0: Yeah, he wasn't on the list.
1: Oh, he's good.
0: He's got to stay healthy.
1: You know what? He's good, though. Good defender. Well, it's just an opinion. You know, I mean, you. out of all those top five guys on there, and will and takes take top, put him in the top five, because I would. Any one of them could have a number one type year. It's all all their opinion. It's just their opinion. It's it's no better than yours or ours. The only way it's better is because it's on national TV. But anybody else's opinion walking down (laughs) Broadway, it's all it is, an opinion.
0: The Pirates third baseman, Key Brian Hayes, did win the Gold Glove, just? Yes. <clears throat> He's the guy that unseated.
1: He won the Gold Glove,
0: Arnott, but yeah. he couldn't
1: be on the top ten third baseman. No. Now, that wasn't defense only, the top ten, was it? No. It was the whole season. Well, I can understand him not being there. He'd be a great fielder and not hit enough to justify Justin Turner, for instance.
0: He only played hundred and twenty four games, two seventy one average, fifteen homers, sixty one RBIs, and an OPS of seven seven sixty two, but he won the gold glove.
1: See, I don't see Justin Turner's on that list. I don't. Now I might look at the list of who's available, you know, who is the third baseman on each, each ball club. And then say, yeah, okay, he is. I might change my mind. Well, Turner
0: out hit Hayes in every category.
1: Well, I know he's a hitter. Justin Turner's a hitter. But to me, if you're going to be the best, your hitting has to equalize your feeling. In other words, it's got to be like Arnado. His feeling is superb, his hitting has been superb. His arm. You know, his range. Everything about him is on the same level of excellence. That's the way I would look for in the third baseman. What three or four categories can he hit for me? And I don't mean swinging a bat hit. Can he just? Can you justify him being number one, two, three or with his overall game? And I don't rate Justin Turner a very good fielder. I'm sorry. I've seen him play a lot. He's okay. You
0: want to see what Marty has to say How many about times it? you seen
1: a guy win the Gold Glove like Ozuna? Because of his hitting.
0: They don't do that anymore.
1: <laughs> that was a joke. Him winning the Gold Glove. They
0: start looking. They delve deeper into the numbers now. The voters. So. I don't
1: even think he should be in the big leagues. You
0: want to see what Marty has to say?
1: Domestic abuse should never be a rewarded by being able to continue your career.
0: Sorry. It's just, well,
1: yeah, I'm always wanting to hear
0: Marty. Marty Michal joins us on the other side. We'll unleash the Monday Marty party on the sports huddle. Straight ahead, Simo E S. It's the Sports Huddle on CMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at CMOESPN.com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Huddle famer Jess Bolin. It is time for the Monday Marty Party. Former Southeast Missourian sports writer Marty Michau joins us on the Huddle Hotline. Marty, how many years did you write for the Missourian?
3: Close to 30. And then uh, before I worked in Missouri, I I had about uh, five full time years at some other papers in other states. So uh, I did it about 35 years total, almost 30 at Missouri. So that was a long run.
0: Hey, Marty, I want to start with this. Um, This just came out this morning within the last 45 minutes, posted at. The University of Missouri's athletics website, Mike uh, Rennick, gave us a heads up here. Mizzou Athletics has been given a record gift and historic philanthropic commitment to support renovations to Memorial Stadium. $62 million, 50 of which is designated strictly for upgrades at the football stadium. The remaining $12 million We'll go towards Mizzou's Tiger Fund, which is a charitable program through the Tiger Scholarship Fund that benefits Mizzou student-athletes. So $50 million of the 62, and the donor wants to remain anonymous. But uh, how about that for the University of Missouri after the football season they just put together?
3: Man, one guy did that. That's impressive. be curious to uh, – I don't know anybody in Cape – maybe – get Jess is about the only guy I know that could come close to matching that donation if he really wanted to. But other than that, I don't know anybody. Uh, but man, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, and they've they really had a lot of momentum the last year or so with fundraising. Uh, live, you know, I'm sure all of that is due to the fact the kind of football season. I don't know if this guy or gal or whoever uh, throwing that money had that in the works all along. But I'm sure the kind of season they just had couldn't have hurt that donation.
1: I tell you, Marty, I, if I gave $62 billion, that would drop me under a billion, and I don't really want to drop it below that. That's danger uh, zone. Yeah. yeah.
0: Danger zone.
3: A lot of tax stuff you got to look into, too, so uh, I don't blame you, Jeff. Just sit on that money. <laughs> no, but that's, that's an amazing—I uh, was thinking, man, maybe the guy could throw a couple hundred grand SEMO's way so Eric could get a press box. I, you know
1: what? I'm hoping I hope we get some of that infrastructure money so we can
3: improve the streets in Cape Girardeau. That's what <laughs> I'd like to see. But that's amazing. But people, people that don't follow closely, they don't realize the money donation athletics that these big schools get. Now, SEMO or Mizzou has probably lagged over the years compared to, you know, the Alabamas, the Georgia, the Texas. But, man, and, and one season, and that's – People don't realize, too, how important athletics, not so much for a smaller program, even though it's important, too, but at these big schools, they've done research, tremendous uh, athletic programs, and really the top sports, you know. They draw so many more students to school. If they've got a choice to go here or there, you want to go where there's such an atmosphere every weekend where it's like a big street party when your football team's great. I mean, they've done studies on that. Schools attract more students when their sports teams do well.
0: That's a fact. Uh, I saw a breakdown, Marty, of enrollment at the University of Alabama, pre-Nick Saban and after Saban, and it's unbelievable.
3: That's when people say, I know these coaches at the the highest level make just obscene kind of money, but if you don't think they're worth it to the school when you can have that kind of success – How much they uh, bring into the school in all kinds of ways—money and enrollment stuff like that. People are crazy if they don't think that, but that's quite a that's that donation to Mizzou. That just continues the momentum on uh, this past football season they had. Man, what a what a huge donation because they had already done tons in the last few years—tons of renovations for that football stadium.
0: Marty, we don't hit the, the NBA a lot on this show, especially before the playoffs. But I did want to throw this one in there. Last night, now remember the Milwaukee Bucks went into panic mode and fired their coach even though they had the second best record in the Eastern Conference. So they bring in Doc Rivers, the ultimate retread. And of course, people like Doc Rivers and they like him on the national broadcasts with Mike Breen. So last night, the Bucks, fourth game coached by Rivers, got outscored in Utah 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter. 40 to 13, they made the they made the change because of how bad the Bucks have been on defense, even though they've got the second best record in the East behind Boston. So they got beat by 15 after they got outscored by 27, 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter. Doc Rivers now 1 and 3. Uh, some coaching changes do not immediately get traction.
3: Yeah, and I think I didn't I did see, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that game, but I, I did see the score and the highlights of how, how bad they got scored in the fourth quarter. And that coaching change was all made with an eye toward the playoffs, thinking, well, they're going to have to short their defense to do good in the playoffs this year. So I'm, record-wise, I can't imagine it's going to improve them that much, because like you say, they still had the second best record going, but and I, I've heard some things, who knows if it's true or not. You know, in the NBA, it seems like the one sport where players can get a coach fired pretty easy. I think LeBron's done that a couple of times, but I I, I kind of read where maybe some of the players weren't jiving that much with the coach. But, uh, but uh, that, that move, whether it paid off or not, will all be determined in the playoffs. There's no doubt about that.
0: And by the way, um, before we talk Redhawks, Braxton Stacker is going to be our guest today on the coaches show. Wings, etc. In Cape Stacker and the Red Hawks, uh, Marty, uh, you were there. Western Illinois, who, let's face it, Marty, they got a shot to win the league because they're only a game behind Moorhead. Now they lost at Moorhead. Their only other loss, Western Illinois, was on a near buzzer beater at home. Tennessee State hit a three with three seconds left. If they get a stop, they win that game. Uh, But Western Illinois will get Moorhead in Macomb. The Eagles have to come to Macomb, and they're only a game back. Western Illinois is probably going to compete for the championship here late. Uh, But, again, we knew it was going to be tough for the Red Hawks to compete on the boards because of how good Western Illinois is. And, uh, boy, you just saw a dominant rebounding team uh, at its best on Saturday.
3: Yeah, Western's been, for no doubt, on the men's side of the OVC the the main surprise of the uh, conference so far, and they've got so many home games left because they've had a bunch of road games so far. So they've got a real shot to win to win the conference. Uh, the thing that was disappointing about Saturday's game is that Western, as good as they've been in the OVC, basically every game, every win they've had has been a nail biter. I looked it up this morning. They had one double-figure OVC win so far. That was 11 points at Lindenwood. Everything else was, like, pretty well down to the wire. And for SEMO to get crushed like that had to be disappointing. I mean, you know going into the game you're probably going to get beat decent margin on the glass. You just want to get totally, totally dominated. But Western does that to everybody. Even games they lose, they pretty well dominate teams on the board. They're going to score a lot in the paint because they're a couple of big guys. They got that Cece, especially he's not going to shoot unless he's either dunking or within two feet. I heard Eric talking about the free throws. Jess. that's the guy you want to put. The Western has a couple of their big guys that shoot unbelievably bad from free throw. Unfortunately, Cece didn't ever really put in a position. I think they could follow him. He was getting so many dunks and easy baskets. I saw him that I played. I saw the game when they played Lindenwood, uh the previous uh, previous game, and he shot two just he shot two air balls on the same uh, free throw deal. Two in a row air balls from the free throw line. He's a horrible. <laughs> but I think the guys that were shooting the free throws the other night were actually throwing their decent free throw shooters, and and they didn't get a whole lot of free throws. Obviously, that didn't have anything to do with the game. But this point thing with SEMO men and the women. I know the coaches are going to look at tape and see how they're playing. But to the the average naked eye of the fan, doesn't it seem like they're regressing both teams instead of getting better Eric.
0: Yeah, because they didn't have uh, a four-game conference losing streaks earlier in the year, so you can look directly at that. And, uh, Marty, what I think is interesting is you talk about how many close games Western Illinois has played. When you are historically pathetic from the free throw line, 349 out of 351, you wouldn't think you'd be 8-2 and two in those 10 games on only one of the 10 decided by double <clears throat> figures before Saturday. Dominant rebound.
3: Yeah. That's got a lot to do with it. They've made up. I mean, I, I was watching that Leonard game the other night, and I think Lennon would had cut the lead to like two or three, or maybe two in Western with like second left. Western Illinois going to the line. They miss a the front end, but they get their own rebound, and then they score – you know, then one of the better free throw shooters that kind of ended the game. So they've kind of been able to avoid that, you know. And late in the game, though, you know, you are you might miss some free throws early, but as long as you're not losing late in the game, because they do have a couple of excellent free throw shooters at Myers, and I think Dent's okay. And so late in the game, you can kind of tailor who's probably going to get the ball a lot of times. But, but they have been a tremendous story. And, uh, you know, they've got... I mean, he's kind of, that coach, you know, he was there. I guess he was their associate head coach last year. And when the other coach left, he took over. I think a lot of players left. They didn't have that many guys back. And he's kind of mashed some stuff together with some duco transfers. And that, CeCe went to my alma mater. And he was at Umso. Yep. And so he, he wasn't. He didn't score much at UMSO, He didn't score much at Wessel North. But, man, you talk about a game changer around that rim. But, uh. But anyway, SEMO, I thought going into the homestand, SEMO probably needed to win, I'm talking about the men, two out of three to have a legit chance to make, to have a good chance to make the tournament. And now they've already lost one. If they don't, you know, if they don't win the next <clears> couple games, considering after that, you're going to have four of your last six on the road, there's going to be a good chance they, they won't even make the tournament, which, you know, you, you would have never thought that. but. And that there's still time to get it together. I mean, there's plenty of games left for them to to reel off. You know, I don't know eight games left. Can't imagine them winning. You know, six or seven. But if they just won four, at the bottom of the OVC record-wise is pretty weak. So I think if Semo gets the five conference wins, they would probably have a good chance of getting the tournament. Six conference wins would almost probably lock you into the tournament. I would think so. You know, six conference wins. You're only talking about going four and four your last eight. But I agree with what Eric said earlier. Right now, they haven't showed me that they can go four and four in those last eight. Now they could change, but as far as how they've played, I mean, why would you think they would go four and four?
1: Yeah, with well, four games at home, four games on the road, and two of your home games are this week, Thursday and Saturday. You're going to have to win some home games because uh, you don't want to lose these two and then have to win four or six on the you know, road, with I mean, four of the six games left on the road, this I think this weekend is critical for them. I, I do think they need to – got to win one of them. Preferably they that's, need that's to win why, both. That's them. why
3: I said going into the three-game homestand, I thought they needed to win two out of three. Yeah, and really I, have yeah I, they chance. do. They do. And, and now that they've already lost their first one, you're talking about winning, and, and, and Tech will be an important game. It's interesting, SEMO and Tech played for the tournament championship last year, and they're both tied for last right now with uh, two conference wins. But the Tech game will be huge because Tech's already beaten SEMO, so if, if they hold the tiebreaker, and they, they're bad this year, but they play pretty good traditionally at home, so they might get a couple more wins at home. So if you lose the tiebreaker to them, would you've already lost the tiebreaker, but I can't imagine would at most maybe winning one more conference game because – that's probably the big upset of the century is how SEMO got swept by Lindenwood this year, who is, let's face it, god-awful. Lindenwood probably has two players, Cole and Bean, and they're very good players. I don't think anybody in their roster anybody in the OBC really would want. So to lose twice to that team, if you don't make the tournament, you're going to think, how did we get swept by Lindenwood?
0: And Marty, when you talk about going for the championship here, all teams have eight games left. What I think is interesting, Western just finished a four-game road trip. You don't see a lot of four-game conference road trips very often, but they just had one. So they've got I think six, they've got like
3: six of their last eight at home, something like that. Six so of their final eight are uh, at home, and Moorhead State, hunt, no
0: doubt. Moorhead State, who also has eight games left, they've got five of their eight games at home, but they've got to go to Western.
3: Yeah, that uh, that'll be a good uh, more. More, we thought early in the year, Moorhead's one of those teams. Now I'm surprised Western has, has done as good as they have. Moorhead's one of those teams. They're just so solid. you got to think that maybe Tops are going to lose two more conference games, but the way Western's rolling, they could match that, so it'll be interesting. I give that Moorhead State coach a lot of credit. Uh, Man, he's built... When Murray and Belmont and everybody left the OVC, I thought, well, now nobody's going to dominate the OVC, but Moorhead actually is. I I don't consider the tournament. Tournament's a crapshoot. Anybody can win that. Moorhead's going for their second straight regular season title since all those good teams left. And Moorhead right now has two guys that could be playing for him that start in the SEC for excellent teams, and they're two of their best players. Moorhead has missed all year the player that everybody in the OVC thought was the best player in the conference, and he just kind of reloads with the transfer portal every year Moorhead probably didn't return more production other than Freeman, who's been hurt, than SEMO did this year. I don't think they did. I think they're, the only guys they came back were, were a couple guards for him. Everybody else is new, and uh, they don't miss a beat. It's amazing what that guy does.
0: All right, Marty. SEMO softball starts its season this weekend. Starting Friday, five games down in Miami, Florida in a tournament. Uh, the preseason polls came out. Remember, Redhawks softball won the OVC regular season last year. They're the favorites again this year, Marty, and it starts on Friday.
3: Yeah, I'm looking forward to softball. has been great, man. Coach Redford, what a job he's done. He's built them up where that's the test of a program. Not that you have a good year because maybe you had a good group and been together for a while, then they leave, and then you're – you're automatically back toward the bottom. Seems like no matter who they graduate now every year, they're at the top, either at the top or near the top. So he's, uh, he's really built something great going at SEMO there. And Simo's uh, definitely lucky to have him. Should be another great softball season. And then baseball's not too far away. You
0: remember when Redburn got the job and Richmond sued SEMO, and one of the reasons was they replaced her with somebody who didn't have any success? at his previous stop, and here he is with yeah. all these championships?
3: You know, whenever you see a coach, you know, with a record that maybe is not that great, you always have to look into more, into the program they're at and the funding. They're, you know, you can't always just look at a coach's record and say, well, this guy can't coach, you know. There's always reasons, right. but I think he's uh, he's he's definitely been one of those home run hires at SEMO.
0: All right, SEMO baseball a week from this friday marty we're on the precipice uh, i think the ovc baseball preseason poll probably comes out sometime this week it'll be interesting to see where semo ranks not that uh, the polls are the end-all be-all uh but at least baseball is going to be talked about a little bit here uh going forward
3: oh man especially lately with how good the weather's been you almost wish they could open the season in the last few days but uh I got to think, you know, they'll be picked at least, you know, one of the top couple, three spots in the poll. Like Eric says, not that it matters, but they've, they've done enough, you know, Soares, Coach Soares has built that program up great, too, where every year now, the last several years, they're going to be at or near the top. So I, I didn't really – I haven't really looked a whole lot at the rosters Eric probably has, see, see who's got a lot of guys coming back. Uh, but SEMO definitely been picked at or toward the top, no doubt.
0: And after starting uh, with three games at Dallas Baptist, Jess Simo's got ten of eleven at Capitol Hall Starting February twentieth, a midweek game against Murray State.
1: do they have about thirty home games?
3: Sounds about right. Twenty-eight.
1: 20, twenty-eight. There we home go.
3: Games. Yeah, I think they twenty-eight every year. They uh, you know, what what's oh, the that's I half think are to play with regular season what, Eric? It's like fifty-five 56, games, something six like games, that. Twenty-six games, I think. Isn't yeah. It? 56, so yeah, that's split. They, they generally, people, are, well, people have been going to the games for years and know they always have a tremendous amount of home games and a, and a great home schedule usually. Super Bowl week, Marty. Who you got? Man, I can't, you know, after doubting, the, we've all doubted the Chiefs are weeks and weeks. Now that they've gotten this far, and uh, I, I agree, Eric, or I've heard Jeff say this a lot, and most people that follow football say it. If the teams are relatively even overall, you go with the quarterback, and I said last week, I'm not discounting what Purdy has done, cause he's been a tremendous score, story, and I usually root for that guy, cause I like seeing a guy who comes out of nowhere. But on paper, it's a, it's a quarterback mismatch, and in a close game, which you've got to figure it'll be, in a close game going to the fourth quarter, would you bet on the or Purdy?
1: <clears throat> well, I'm taking the Chiefs, and I agree totally with what you said about the quarterbacks. That's the way I've always been. Give me the look at the quarterbacks. Who's in this game? And, you know, Purdy, like you say, I agree with that. He's been remarkable, and I love the guys that come out of nowhere. But this, they've never been there. Uh, San Francisco has, but this kid hasn't. And he's supposedly the leader. No, I'll take Kansas City. I will it's say fair, this. You
3: know, they're officially, 49ers are still a small favorite. Now, it's such a small favorite, it's basically like a flip a coin game. But so far, most of the experts I've been hearing have been picking the Chiefs, mainly because they have a hard time thinking Mahomes is going to lose on that stage to Purdy. Now, it's not just, you know, it's not like you're going against the other quarterback, but all things being equal, if, if the, both teams play a respectable game like they can play, you got to think Mahomes is going to make more plays for him. So I'm a uh, roundabout way to saying I think the Chiefs will win. <laughs> also, does
0: the advantage of Mahomes over Purdy wash out the massive advantage? that the 49ers have at the skill positions. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. They are so much more talented at the skill positions than the Chiefs, but not at quarterback.
3: No doubt the 49ers roster is loaded. What's interesting, though, is their defense has not played good lately, 49ers, which in their side of the ball is on paper loaded, too. Because, uh, man, uh, Green, Detroit was shredding them. Uh, Green Bay was shredding them for a while. I mean, if, you know, if the 49ers' defense plays like they're kind of, you know, been thought to be as good as they are, but, you know, I don't know if the 49ers' defense doesn't play better. I got to think the Chiefs are going to be, be able to put up some points.
1: Yeah, and Kittle is not uh, not better than Kelsey.
3: He probably overall during the season might have been. He's younger, but I, you, probably, you guys probably talked about it. Kelsey looked—he was like he was slowing down. I don't know. You know, they sat him out the last game of the season, and uh, I don't know if that. But he looked rejuvenated in this last game, didn't he? Well,
1: eleven receptions in a game, over the hundred yards, eleven for eleven. No, I mean I'm sorry. He may be slipping. But he's still the best tight end in football.
3: He looked rejuvenated in that last game. He he looked a lot better, than he had the previous several weeks. He makes the catch he just, when he when he, he got to like make the catch, of a he makes to a it. Step. You know, maybe that little rest getting some good.
0: So you've got the Chiefs, is that right? I've definitely got the Chiefs. All right, Jess has got the Chiefs as well. Marty, what else? Who you got? <laughs>
3: You guys got all week to
0: talk
1: about. say to don't, do it today. Yeah, don't say I don't. I'm, I'm on the fence about it. Just tell us who you got.
0: I'll save it until Friday. Oh God! I need to know. You know what, <laughs> I need to know what the injury reports to, are. To Somebody goes down with an injury. Go leading up to the game. I need to have this information.
3: Marty, he's so uh, what, afraid what, to what be Taylor wrong. Swifts to Japan Saturday night for that concert.
0: Yeah, we need to know if Taylor Swift going to be able to make it. Yeah, back. she's
1: going to be able to make it. They got they already said that she's going to be there. So, and that that was definitely phased it to the Chiefs.
0: Marty, we will see you Thursday at the Show Me Center for some uh, Red Hawk double header action.
3: Sounds good
0: to see you guys. All right, the Love Shack, Marty. Michelle, hello to the lovely and talented uh, Dawn Sean. Jess, she had three twelve-hour shifts over the weekend. She has a day off today. Well, so she
1: needs it. Three twelve-hour shifts. She needs. She needs a day off. Got a um,
0: final uh, nugget for also us. I'll
1: say, out of my girls too. They're back in Texas and Columbia today. Uh, had a four-day week. No, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Five days. That I had all of my family together, and it was just uh, unbelievable. Marvelous. My little sister, Neva, she's uh, feeling a lot better after her surgery. And my boys, Jess and Tom, are running around there somewhere. They're local. How about this one? Build your own dreams, or someone else will hire you to build theirs. That was written by Farrah Gray. I believe a little bit in that. If you got some dreams, build them yourself. Don't wait around. Somebody will get them,
0: and you won't have them. Thank you, Farah, Jess? Miss Gray. Run it back tomorrow? Give it a shot. All right. That's the Hall of Famer. Stay tuned. Greeny coming up next on ESPN Radio. Coach's show, Wings, et cetera. 12 noon in Cape. Coach Korn, Braxton Stacker will join us. Enjoy your Monday, everybody.